0: We're continuing a series that I've entitled "Red Lights," and um, so, and what that's been is just—it's we've been discussing things that we have uh, that we do to ourselves, self-inflicted obstacles that we put on ourselves that keep us from experiencing the fullness of the life that we were created for. Kingdom life on earth as it is in heaven. Most of y'all know that our heart here is to empower ordinary people to live extraordinary lives through a guilt-free, unreligious relationship with God the Father. And sometimes, the, many times, the, the water's been muddied in the church and it's overly complicated and it just makes this relationship and this this life in general really difficult. And and part of the reason reasoning is we push off experiencing heaven until the afterlife. When Jesus says on earth as it is in heaven. This life is meant to be enjoyed, not just put up with until we die. If the purpose of this life or purpose of all this stuff was just to experience something after we die. When we baptize y'all, we just hold you under water and then you'd experience heaven immediately. (laughs) If God's will, that wasn't in my notes, uh, if God's will for us is to live kingdom life on earth as it is in heaven, we have to ask ourselves some questions. We have to look and be honest with ourselves and and say, does my life right now reflect this idea of heaven on earth? Or are there habits that I've adopted that are actually pushing me further away from heaven on earth? And I'll answer it for you. (laughs) Does your life reflect it? No. And are there habits that we've all adopted along the way that are preventing us, these red lights? Yes. So this, is, this series is for all of us because you, God's will and his heart for you is eternal. It's infinite. We're never gonna grasp the fullness of it. So even if you have a really great life, I'm not trying to get up here and assume that everybody has these pathetic little lives and you're just miserable and depressed and poor and sick and all this other stuff, stressed out. I'm not trying to assume that necessarily, but I can tell you beyond the shadow of a doubt that we all have areas that we, that are self-imposed red lights that we are, are hitting a wall. And a lot of it, I think, has to do with our culture and our society and, and the American dream and, and all these different strongholds, I guess you could say in our society, but we have to break free of those things. Think for ourselves, understand the power that we possess and God's heart for us because his heart for you and his plans for you are always for good, never ever for disaster. The bad things that happen are not God, part of God's plan, and it's not. it might not even be your fault all the time. Sometimes we just, stuff happens, right? That's the Christian version of that bumper sticker, stuff happens. And and so, but if we're, if we're wasting all our energy on these nitpicky er, little areas of life, when the big stuff does happen to us, we're going to be too exhausted and, and just fall apart like a $2 suitcase. And I don't want that for any of us. I don't want it for me. I don't want it for you. So so let's take care of these, these areas of our life that we do have control over. So when the, the things that are out of our control happen, we can hit them head on. So we can say that this is a never-ending process because of a lot of things we've already talked about. I'm going to fly through it because I got a lot to say today. But um, John 10.10, 10, this is the amplified version. He says that he's come that they may have and enjoy life. We could stop right there for a moment, but ain't nobody got time for that. Uh, I've come that they may have and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. This Over the top, ridiculous, unnecessarily abundant, super abundant life that he's come and provided for us. The message translation says that I came so they can have real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. If you can dream it, there's more. If you can think about it, there's more. And he says that in Ephesians 3.20. This is the message translation. God can do anything, you know. I love that. I love the message translation sometimes. It's like, you know, God can do anything far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. Sometimes I struggle with this even today because it's, I'm really good at, at, at having a vision and a plan to work toward that's within reason. It's real easy for me to say God provides my needs. It's harder for me to say this, this, this unnecessarily blessed life, where I, I, he wants to bless me beyond anything I could, beyond my wildest dreams. That's harder for me. Anybody else? It's it's, it's if there's a need, if I'm in X amount of debt, okay, I'm going to believe God to help me find ways to pay this off. I'm going to start putting my hands to something and real and knowing that everything I place my hands to is blessed. That He's given me the ability and the power to get wealth to pay off X amount. It's a little bit harder to say, I'm going to believe for some craziness. We always connect it to money, but it's not about money. It's about enjoying life, but it's easy to talk about money. He does does it not by pushing us around, but by working within us, his spirit deeply and gently within us. His spirit, the spirit of God within you, leading, in, leading you and guiding you into all truth. He's not knocking you around. He's not behind the pain. It's the thief that's come to steal, kill, and destroy. And that's the very definition of grace. I know I'm flying through a lot of stuff, so just write it down. But Second Corinthians 9, 8... I think gives a really great definition of what grace is. This is what we've built this church on, Grace Life Church. There's a lot of churches out there that have grace in their name, but anyway, all right. So, and God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work so grace is having sufficiency in all things and abundance for every good work you are made on purpose for a purpose and by grace you have been given everything you need to step into that things that are just beyond your wildest imagination isn't that crazy that's crazy that's crazy my voice cracked 2 Peter 1, 2, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. So we've already been given all these things, but it can be multiplied within us as we grow in our knowledge, which that word for knowledge in Greek means an intimacy, an intimate relationship, not an intellectual an intellectual understanding, but this, this heart revelation, this heart your heart intertwined with the heart of God, the very spirit of God, because he is there, he is within you. But as you grow in that, all the things that have been accomplished and have been placed within you, you'll start to experience more of it and more of it. And this eternal life, this eternal relationship that we have the opportunity to partake in just keeps growing. And so the things right now that seem like they're so far out of, it's just wild to dream. If we allow our minds to go there, there's still more. And as we get closer to that, that benchmark just moves further out. There's more to experience, more, always more, more deeper relationships, deeper joy and fulfillment in life. And that means different things to each and every person in this room. So I I use the example of finances a lot because it's just this number and it's easy to just say, I'm believing for a million dollars. But that's not for everybody. You have to figure that out on your own. You have to figure out what your personal relationship with God looks like because your personal relationship with God isn't gonna look like mine. I have a different personality. Some of y'all, amen. But I'm different than you. You're different than me. Sometimes, so you have to discover these things on your own. My job up here is just to kind of point you in a direction. And then, you have to take it from there and actually start applying some of this and experiencing his love in your life we all have different ways of experiencing love i had a series a while back on the five love languages and how god speaks each one of our love languages and in scripture how it it shows it no matter what your personality type is no matter what your love language is god wants to reach you right where you are it's amazing And as you do that, as you grow in your understanding of who he truly is, you go from glory to glory to glory to glory. It says this in 2 Corinthians 3.18. I know I'm like spitballing or firing a lot of stuff right now, but I'm trying to get somewhere. But this is amplified. It says, and all of us, as with unveiled face, because we continued to behold in the word of God, As in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are constantly being transfigured into his very own image in ever increasing splendor and from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the spirit." We just keep growing. We just keep moving forward and it gets better and better and better. And just when you think it can't get any better than that, just wait, there's more. We could go on and on. These are just a handful of verses that I've uh, put on here just to to reveal that God has this, in this highway of life, he's provided the green lights. That's what he wants for us. Smooth sail. But then we get in the way with our stinking thinking or our unbelief or just a number of different things that could could, um, prevent us from moving forward. And we just stop. And you're going to hit those But hopefully those red lights turn yellow. And then we can just keep moving forward no matter what. We're gonna hit stumbling blocks along the way. That's just, we're not promised a trouble-free life. We're just not. But his desires for you are eternal, infinitely greater than you could ever dream of. Is it even possible for us to completely grasp the length and width and depth and height of his love and purpose, purpose for us? impossible. And I see it all the time in in the church where, oh, I've been, I've been going to church longer than you've been alive. And we just, yeah, and you're miserable. You're a miserable person. And I love you, but I don't like you very much. Now it is, to say that we're going to grasp it is just, it's just an ignorant thing to say. We're never going to get it. Not ignorant, stupid, ignorant, just are you kidding me? Creator of the universe, in all, through all, and we're like, ah, I've been going to church for 20 years, I get it. Stop the madness. We're here, we're, this is a continual, this is, our entire life is going to be filled with this, and this isn't a daunting Mount Everest in front of us. This should be exciting, saying, I don't have to stay where I am now. I get to pursue and, and discover the rest of my life something new, something better, and that pumps me up. I get to see heaven on earth. I get to help other people experience the kingdom in their life. And it starts with with me experiencing it. And then I walk around, there's this advertisement for the kingdom. I'm living it. They want it. I get to help them experience it. And it just goes on and on. I saw that, or I think I've shared this before, but the, I think I've shared all of this before. Anyway, so... Uh, I was reading this book. This is not doctrinally correct, but I like the mindset. He said, "Whenever he wants to just go through life and keep going." He didn't word it this way. I'm, I'm mixing Clint Zeller into this, but go from glory to glory and experience to experience and more and more and more and keep climbing. So whenever I die and I do get to heaven, I'm sent, sitting there in front of God, and he's he even God himself is blown away at what I was able to experience on this in this life. That's awesome. That's just. That's not right, but, you know, maybe it is. I don't know. Anyway, so we've been talking about these red lights. And in the last couple of weeks, we, we mentioned some practices that most of us can relate to. I say most of us. That ain't right. All of us, to some point. But they were... They were uh, red lights that caused us to live our worst life now. We talked about being unteachable, complaining, being complacent, having a victim mentality, being fear-driven, and taking life too seriously. And there, that's just some of them. And honestly, I did not do them justice. Those, those deserve a, a, an entire hour to themselves. We could just dive in deep and really unpack this stuff. But if, if, the point of this series is just to acknowledge. And then I would hope that you would take it from there. That's the macro. Those, those, are, those are kind of things that in life, those, that's the big picture, life in general. But now I want to approach it in a more micro level, which I believe this what we're going to get into now is the single most important aspect to God's heart, the, the single most important thing to, to what he wants, and that's our relationships with one another. So today we're going to talk about How to Lose Friends and Alienate People. That's actually a movie title. I borrowed it. I started to look up How to Win Friends and Influence People. You know the book? Probably heard of it at least. And I was looking up antonyms. And then that movie popped up. I'm like, I'll take it. Anyway, as believers, we should be the gold standard of what love looks like to the world. We know we know this. Are we, the, are we setting the example? I like in Ephesians 119, the Apostle Paul says, My prayer for you is that every moment you will experience the measureless power of God made available to you through faith. Then your lives will be an advertisement of this immense power as it works through you. Man, a walking advertisement of the kingdom of God. His love for you is that what the church is known for oh i'm just i'm killing it i know the love of god he loves me and now i'm starting to see myself differently and i'm as i see myself differently and how god loves me in the middle of all this then i can look at them out there and i and i can look at them and know that god loves them and then i can be the 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 advertisement for that love and show them all of that is that what the 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 church is mostly known for No, we're known for what we're against. Political parties we disagree with, lifestyles we disagree with, stores that make decisions or companies that make decisions that we're gonna boycott and on and on and on what we're against. I'm not telling you not to stand up for what you believe, but what are you really known for? What's your motivation behind this? More division and is that accomplishing anything? If people don't think and act and believe exactly like me, they're on the outside. And we're, we become this gated community in the church. We become a, a social club that gets together on Sunday morning. And then somebody actually comes in and they're looking and they're seeking and they feel excluded because they're just not, they don't line up perfectly. And the truth is most of us put our Sunday morning face on and we don't even believe the things that we're saying. No, we're going to be... I'm, uh, this is about love this morning. I'm sorry. Sorry. It's anti-Christ. <laughs> it's anti-Christ. This divisive mentality that the church has. That we're this pious attitude. We're superior, holier than now people. And they're just dirty old sinners out there. Well, guess what? While we are sinners, Christ died for us. He loves them just as much as he loves you. For God so loved just the church people. For God so loved just the people who loved him. For God so loved the world that in Jesus, or God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. Jesus came to take away the sin of the world. There's not this separation. The difference between us and them is we know. Why aren't we acting like we know? I'm not talking to Grace Life Church. I'm just like stirring the pot a little bit. We know, and I think many of us at this church, because this is our foundation, we are, it's easier for us, but even me, and I'm super spiritual, even me, I fall into this where people just tick me off. People are the worst sometimes. Amen? (laughs) How we treat people is a direct reflection of what we believe about God. That's worth writing down. How we treat people is a direct reflection of what we believe about God. Before Paul became Saul, he was a Pharisee who persecuted Christians. And in Acts 9, it says, um, this is the NIV. I don't know if I gave you that one or not. But it says, meanwhile, Saul was still... uh, breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples he went to the high priest and asked them for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any if so that if he found any there who belonged to the way that was the Jesus movement Jesus followers whether men or women he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Paul wasn't out there, or Saul at that time, wasn't persecuting Jesus himself, but he was persecuting the way his disciples, his, the Jesus followers. And Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? How we treat one another is a direct reflection of how we feel about God. And it, 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 it's shown, it just reveals a lot. If you're a critical, judgmental person, I know exactly what you believe about God. So, <laughs> aren't you glad you're here? Are we, I'm positive, this is, this is, sometimes you gotta expose the wound, you gotta clean it out. It gets worse before it gets better. But man, the other side, holy moly. So the red lights that are causing us to lose friends and alienate people. I just have one today. We're gonna stick to one because this is almost a highlight reel of a lot of things we've talked about and I'm still not gonna do it justice, just spending an entire message or the rest of the message just on this one topic. This is so big and it's so simple that it's overlooked. But red light number one is overcomplicate the gospel. I see this all the time. And you might not see a connection here between, okay, how's overcomplicating the gospel? How's that, what's that have to do with my relationship with people? How is that causing me to lose friends and alienate people? It has everything to do with it. Because with a misunderstanding of what the gospel is, it won't produce this life of love and passion for and compassion for people in general. We won't look at them the same way if we don't understand what the gospel truly means. And the gospel is simple. Simple. It can be summed up in one word. Anyone want to guess what that is? Love that's it. It's very simple. And if we don't understand that the simplicity of the gospel, loving people is harder and it becomes a work. So we we have this, okay, Jesus commanded me to love people. So I better love people. I better walk in love and becomes a work. That's not love. That's works. It's exhausting. It's fake or I will love them so they'll change. Love the hell out of them. That's love with an agenda, that's not love. It's like when, when churches say, come as you are, come as you are, it's like, okay. You come in and it's like, yeah, we love you, but now we love you enough to help you change. That's love with an agenda. That's not come as you are. Or it's not the, the church has adopted the role of the Holy Spirit thinking that it's our job to change people. But it's not our job to change people. It's our job to love people and love them if they never change. What if that person that's living a lifestyle that you disagree with or votes a way that you disagree with always votes that way or always lives that way? Can you still love them 10 years from now if they've never changed? If not, that, then you have an agenda behind this and have missed the point completely. Loving people doesn't mean be best friends with everybody. Something, sometimes the best thing you can do for a relationship is to keep away from that person. But sometimes it's the other way around. Sometimes you'll have the most unlikely friendship, this, the most unlikely relationship and it starts to, to just change you. It changes everything. It changes your outlook on life. And that maybe they never change. Maybe having that person in your life changes you more than it changes them. The simple gospel. The gospel literally means good news. It's almost, almost too good to be true news. Just when you think it can't get any better, again, <laughs> just keep on looking there's more to it, it gets better and gooder and it's simple and it's just easy, easy. I was in a, a group Zoom call a while back and they were talking, there was all different denominations in there. And they could not wrap their mind around a person that wasn't connected to a denomination. One person actually asked me, so how did you start a church if you're not connected to a denomination? And sometimes even the non-denomination churches have become this denomination. But I'm just, I said, uh, I felt like the Lord said, start a church. So I started a church. And they just couldn't comprehend this. Like, what are you talking about? You gotta be, it's like, I have a path. stay stay in contact with my pastor we talk every week and I have people in my life that speak into my life but this grace life church isn't connected to anything it's just something I, I felt like or early on my pastor told me to the the best piece of advice he ever got is if you're going to start a church create a community that you would attend even if you weren't the pastor and that sounds crazy but you'd be surprised how many people start churches and they try to, they're, what do people want? And they, do, they compromise who they are and what they believe in order to try to become all things to all people, and they wouldn't even attend the church that they started. And so I just wanted to create a, a community that's like normal, not a bunch of frozen chosen, even though y'all are super quiet today, but that's okay. It is cold in here. Um... But they, so they started talking about church and they weren't understanding. We weren't on the same page. I didn't last too long in this group, by the way. But then they said, the conversation kind of evolved to what's essential? What's an essential doctrine? And they were going down all this stuff and talking and talking and talking. It was Zoom, is on camera. And I think, well, they clearly saw my face because the leader of it is like, Clint, you look like you have something to say. Because I'm like, oh, and... I just said, outside of the divinity of Jesus, nothing is essential outside of that. And they're like, oh, well, what about acknowledging that you're a sinner? I'm like, no, no. Because what happens is we keep saying, I'm a sinner, Father, forgive me, and I confess everything. And then we're stuck on the problem. And then we wonder why we can't get over the problem. And it's because that's all we talk about is the problem. It's like Romans 2, 4, it says that it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. Not your constant confession of every wrong that you've done that day or how, you, how bad you feel about everything. In fact, the word confess in Greek means to agree with. So if you want to confess something, get your, your beliefs in agreement with what God says. If you want to confess your sins, say, well, this is what God says about my sin, that I'm forgiven. That my sins and lawless deeds, he'll remember no more. And that he's separated me from my sins as far as east is from the west. So if you want to confess something, amen. <laughs> We're getting there. Uh, so... so. Uh, If you want to confess something, get your thoughts in line with that. Quit bringing up the problem all the time. I'm not saying, as I say this almost every week, don't ignore the problem, but don't stay there. Don't dwell on it. If you need to get something off your chest, get it off your chest. But as long as that's, we've made this an essential doctrine and we're just hung up on it. And every night before I go to bed, I got to confess all my sins and lay there before I can feel better. That God can bless, now God can bless me. Well, I have good news. He's already blessed you. Oh, I'm trying to get God to love me. Well, I have even better news. He already does. If your goal is to get God to love you, mission accomplished. And we can all go home. But that's not the point of any of it. It's this experience that we're meant to have, something beyond our wildest dreams. Not just getting to heaven or not just trying to to get God on our good side, but it's, it's deeper than that. It's amazing. It's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. You want to change your whole life, your whole thought process. You want to rethink who he is and who you are and what he's called you to be. If you want to see people differently, we have to see the goodness of God. That is the gospel. For God so loved the world that he gave it all, everything. Confessing how bad you are doesn't change you. Confessing how good God is changes you. So the divinity of Christ, that, that, that is kind of a blanket statement. It's easy to say that, but it means a lot. There's a lot in that. So if I say the only essential doctrine would be that if for this experience of salvation is seeing Jesus for who he truly is, well, that means, well, he, he came to, to reveal the heart of the Father. He came to show me what, what the power that I possess Because as he is, so are we in this world. And he said that the glory that that the Father's shown him, he gives to us as well. So how God sees Jesus, he sees me as well. And it's just, so it's it's deeper than just, oh, just believe Jesus, brother. No, it's so much more than that. But if we're talking about essential, it all starts there, this foundation. Jesus was God personified, God with a body. He reveals the true heart of the Father. In Hebrews 1, it says, Throughout our history, God has spoken to our ancestors by his prophets in many different ways. The revelation he gave them was only a fragment at a time. He's talking about the old covenant prophets building one truth upon another. Their view of who God was was very limited at that time. It was a different covenant. But then he says, But to us, living in these last days, God now speaks to us openly openly in the language of a son, the appointed heir of everything. For through him, God created the panorama of all things and all time. The sun is a dazzling radiance of God's splendor, the exact expression of God's true nature, his mirror image. He holds the universe together and expands it by the mighty power of his spoken word. He accomplished for us the complete cleansing of sins. And then he took his seat on the highest throne at the right hand of the majestic one. Jesus In the flesh, Jesus is God with a bod, reveals the very heart of the Father. If you wanna know God's heart toward anything or anyone, look no further than Jesus. He is the mirror image of God, the exact representation of who he is, and so we can easily take things out of context and say, make God look like he's the bad guy or he's behind the pain or allowing certain things to happen. And we could, we could twist it into something because for some reason we're addicted to it. We want God to be the bad guy. We want to, going back to red light number four, we want to be a victim or have a victim mentality and say, it's not my fault. God must be causing this bad thing to happen in my life because Whatever, We've come, whether it's punishment or, or until I become a better steward. And so rather than take responsibility for myself, I'm saying it's not me, it's God. And clearly he's trying to teach me something here. Now, when those bad things happen, is there something to learn? Absolutely. But did God throw that in your path for that purpose? No. There's a, there's a million reasons why bad things happen, but I'm telling you, it's not behind, God's not behind it. I was like real I was expecting like banners to fall poof, and a standing ovation and everyone like yeah Woo. Thanks Ape the sun is the dazzling radiance of God's splendor, the exact expression of God's true nature. We can't just pluck things out of context, things from an old covenant or, or a cultural situation or something that's written in Scripture to a specific church who is going through certain things at certain times, and I could give a lot of examples about that. We take Paul's letters. How controversial do we want to get today? Am I already? <laughs> Some people think I already have. Uh, The, 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 I'm not going to go there. (laughs) Next week. Yeah. Y'all come back. Um, We take these, these very specific uh, passages written to certain people at certain times for certain reasons, and we apply it as a universal truth. And that's just not what scripture is meant for. Look at how Jesus treated people. Look at his heart for people. And does that match your life all the time? It's easy when we're all feeling good and pumped up or when we're just surrounded by people that we're in our little bubble. But what about people outside the bubble, outside the camp? So if, it, if, if how you treat people doesn't match what Jesus reveals in the Father, you've probably just overcomplicated things. In worship, I, I, I pulled this up. It's uh, Hebrews 10, 8. Because we want to we try to be, like, I, I just want to be more holy for God, and I want to try to become something that I'm not. But he says in uh, Hebrews 10, 8, previously saying sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings and offerings for sin, you did not desire nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first, that's that old covenant of sacrifice and offering, that he may establish the second. By that, we will have been sanctified, past tense, set apart, made holy, through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So we, we try to live these good little Christians, lo- Christian lives, and we're going to read our Bible every day, we're going to pray every day, and we're going to put this, this front on. And I'm not saying it's always fake. I think sometimes that's, that it works for some people. But if your motivation behind that is to become sanctified or think that God requires that of you, that's missing the point completely. If you're doing those things because of your compassion for people, that's great. Keep on keeping on. But he says that you have been sanctified. You have been made holy. You are holy and blameless. You have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heaven. All of the promises of God are yours. You don't have to do anything to become. You don't have to work endlessly and tirelessly to become something. You just need to rest in the fact that you already are. And something starts to change on the inside of you. You don't have to love people. You don't have to love people. You just love people because that's who you are. Because as he is, so are we in this world. I know where I'm at in my relationship with God by how I view people, how I treat people. Not because I have to, because I want to, because I have spent time in His presence. (sighs) So that was the intro. I'm going to follow that down. Okay, so we'll see where we go. We're definitely not going to finish this today, but I'm going to start with two ways to know if you're overcomplicating the gospel. First, this doesn't have as much to do with, even though they are connected, not as much to do with relationships, but uh, we have to start here. You've overcomplicated the gospel if life is stressful. If life is stressful. Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. If you're stressed, Jesus is not in the picture. <laughs> You've abandoned your first love. I do that as the pastor of a church. I get hung up sometimes on what we need to do. How can we grow? How can we get stuff done around here. And I start getting stressed out and worn out and tired. And I kind of get like, oh, is this worth it? (laughs) And Jesus is out of the picture. I've, I've abandoned him and I say, what can I do? Or what can we do? And I'm not including him in it. And it's stressful and it's exhausting and it's not enjoyable at all. So this, this calling that God's placed on my life to be a pastor of Grace Life Church becomes something that I resent. That hasn't happened a lot, but it's happened a couple of times over the last six years. So if I experience that, I imagine some of you do, at least one or two of you have been stressed this week, maybe. If, you've, if you're stressed out, we've left Jesus out of it. He goes on to say, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. So when we think of a yoke, we think, I mean, it is, it's, you have the oxen or the donkeys or whatever, and they have a yoke, and they're, they're co-laborers, right? But, and that's true, and there's a lot, we could take this down that path, but there's also, in the first century, to the first century Jewish uh, person, that a yoke meant something a little bit different. It, it, it spoke of, there, there'd be rabbis, and the rabbi's disciples, and the rabbi's interpretation of scripture and how it should be applied was called their yoke. And so all the disciples would be sitting under this rabbi's yoke or their teachings, and that's how they would live their life from there on out. And Jesus, a rabbi came in and said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He came to present a new way. He came to present the heart of the Father. And his yoke is easy and his burden is light. I like the, the message translation of this. It says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Amen. Yes. Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. This change starts to happen, unforced. You start to love people. You start to love the unlovable. The Republican starts to love a Democrat. Oh boy, oh boy. The Democrat starts to love Republicans. Then there's the independents the libertarian, I don't know. All right. You just start to love people. I mean, and I could, I don't have time right now, but the I've experienced this in my life where people that just rub me the wrong way and I just, we don't mesh at all. And I avoid them. I see them coming and I pretend to tie my shoe. Or I gotta go to the bathroom real quick and I'd like go. I'm walking down the mall and I just gotta go shop in Bed Bath & Beyond or whatever, I don't know or Bed Bath Body Works, whatever. It would have been funnier if I didn't stumble. Um, but then is I know where I'm at in this relationship when I look at them and I say, wow, you know, I, I want to talk to him. I don't want to take him to coffee. Don't get, let's not get crazy. But let's, we can have a conversation. I can, if there's a need, or, or, and I've, I've told this story before. There was a student at our Bible college that was just hated me, filed complaints on me, and tried to turn the whole school on me. And, man, she was a, a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan. And I, I just I dreaded going to the school and having to see this woman. And I, I just asked the Lord to help with this because it was causing, I mean, I I loved what I was doing at this school, but this one woman was ruining it. And so, uh, he, he had me act on this because that's what he does. Sometimes when it's hard, he says, all right, put your hand to something. That'll help your heart a little bit. He said, I want you to buy her some flowers. I was like, okay. I don't even buy my wife flowers but I'll buy this demon and a flower, I guess. And (laughs) I was still in the process of they were expensive. And so I did it and it just broke something on the inside of me. She never really changed. She was still who she was, but it changed. I I would come up and have conversations and, and it just broke something in me. I didn't do that for her. The Lord didn't have me do that for her. He did it for me so I could get over whatever stronghold was blocking me from enjoying this situation I was in. And it, so, so I started in this relationship, I started to involve him in it and he gave me something and it wasn't even that hard. It, wasn't, it was just, it started to flow. That want to was easy. He put a desire in me to say, I need to fix this. Something needs to change here. And then I started to act on it. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company, Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. So, if this kind of flows into the second way to know if you've overcomplicated the gospel. Number two, you don't effortlessly love people. This sound, it's crazy, right? It's just, you just love people with effort, no effort. It says in First John, John 4, starting in verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. That is some directness right there. That is, he who does not love does not know God. If you don't love people, you don't know God. Right now. Maybe you did. Maybe, I mean, we, I'm up and down with this at times. I know where I am in my relationship with God by how I treat people, how I love people. And love isn't an aspect of God's nature, it's who he is. Love isn't what he does, it's who he is. God is love, period. Oh, but he's also holy and just. Okay, maybe if your definitions of holy and just don't equate to love, you have a misunderstanding of what holy and just means. So we need to rethink some stuff because God is love. I, can't, I think I might have said this on Wednesday, but it's like what we, a lot of times we'll say a father with his child that says, don't touch the hot stove, you'll burn yourself. And he walked, he's like, but I'm gonna let you make a decision for yourself. And, and the kid reaches up and touches it and burns his hand. And then he blames the father for the mistake that he did. And he just runs away because he's terrified when the father in his love and nurturing of the child said, don't do that, you do it anyway, then you get hurt and then you get the blame for it. The father gets the blame for it? God is love. And I think we need to rethink what love means. And and we don't have time to get into that right now. But just this general blanket statement that God is love. And that's all. It defines all of who he is, his entire essence. And it goes on in 1 John 4. and says, And this is the love of God, which was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world, that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we love God. You ever go to a church other than this one that says, I don't want you to focus on your love for God. Stop trying to love God more. And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. If our focus, if we take it from I need to prove my love I need to earn his love. I need to show God how much I need to work more in order to experience the love or get him to move or whatever it might be. We've missed the point completely. He says, and this is love, not that we love God, but he loved us. If we shift our focus from the doing to the rest and labor into that rest and just let that manifest itself on the inside of us, then yeah, it goes on to say, uh, it would be a guess, so I'm not going to tell you, but I think it's verse 17. But uh, as, or, put it up there. Ugh. Is it 17? Nope, 19? <laughs> we'll cut this out. There it is. We love him because he first loved us. In the original uh, Greek him isn't in there it just says we love that was added we love because he first loved us so so it's not my love for god it's his love for me and we love because he first loved us the new commandment i give to you that we you love one another as i've loved you so it all starts with this understanding of god's love for me and then a response to that is love we love him that's true we start to have this passion and this excitement in this relationship with God but it doesn't stop there it's not just we love him back it's we we start to see ourselves differently we start to love ourselves you can't you can't love your brother as you love yourself, if you don't even love yourself. So you start to see yourself differently. Your, your low self-esteem or your poor self-image starts to change because you know that you have this power on the inside of you and that you're made on purpose for a purpose. And it gives you this boldness and this courage to stand up and just move forward. So you start to you understand his love for you. You love him. You love yourself. And then you start to love the people around you. And it just affects everything. The world around you shifts into something great something beyond your wildest dreams, but it starts with with the simple gospel of love. For God so loved you that he gave everything for you. And if you don't see that, you need to rest. You need to enter into that rest. You need to take Jesus' yoke upon you because his burden is easy. Isn't this good? Isn't this, this is so powerful. And it's so, it, it can be, it can come off as so simple or, or it seems simple at times, but we overlook it because we just want to get to the results. I'm saying the results will come from that. It starts with this relationship. It starts with this understanding of your love. You can be of good cheer regardless of what's going on. You can love people regardless of what they do to you. What they say against you, you can still love people. Again, there's healthy boundaries within that, but just the blanket statement is this will change your life. It says in verse 11, "Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another." Just this understanding that continue continues to grow within us. This is everything. This is the micro. This isn't just a topic. This should be intertwined in every moment of every day. If, we are, if we're consciously aware of this at all times, throughout anything, our response is gonna be different. We can't overcape, overcomplicate the gospel, unless we wanna lose friends and alienate people, which is the complete antithesis of who Jesus is. No division looking at people totally different the way that God sees them. It's powerful. So I encourage you this week, every single day, set, set it on your phone as a reminder if you have to. First thing in the morning, just ask God to show you his love. Start to look for it in the, the little things. I think you'll start to see bigger things. And he's, he's showing it to, to you already. But just remind yourself that God is showing his love for me today, and you'll start to see it. Little reminders throughout the day. I love you. I love you. I love you. You're not alone in this. I have something great for you. My plans for you are for good and not for disaster. Little things. Ask him. Set it in your phone. Do it now. But I'm going to stop there because we could keep going. But I... I am in constant, I mean, this is never ending. His love is never ending. And just when you think you get it, you just turn that diamond a little bit and you see a side of it, the length, the width, the depth, the height of it in a way that you've never seen it. But his love is not just like a, a, a p- words on a page. It's more than that. So keep on seeking, keep on knocking, you're gonna find it, amen?